The assault against the subterranean layer was perfectly executed. A dozen agents from an eclectic collection of species struck at the exact same moment, slaying the guards with unnatural precision before breaking into the dark burrow of some unspeakable horror. Giblet was terrified, excited, and confused. He was very confused. Where was he? Why was he here? One moment he was stealing some shinies from a scary underground castle he'd snuck into, and the next he was here. He winced as he felt a pressure on his mind. It gave him an odd, inexplicable headache. Of course, what was he thinking? He needed to follow the other agents into the lair. He chased after his comrades as they made their way through a winding tunnel, which soon opened up into a palatial chamber. Riches, treasures, Shinies galore littered every nook and cranny of this hall, firelight causing them all to sparkle. Giblet stood in awe of this magical place when one of his burly compatriots wordlessly shoved him away from the tunnel they had exited. Oh, yes, right, of course, the Overlord was coming. It would be indecent to block the Overlord's path. Wait, the Overlord? Giblet was confused again the pressure on his mind growing stronger. Ah, of course, the majestic overlord was coming. A generous description of the creature that floated into the chamber might say it resembled a giant cone, with a stinger on the small end and a gaping, toothy mouth on the other, larger side, with a ring of little tentacles around the mouth and four arms surrounding them in turn. A less generous individual? might say the creature reminded them of a massive windsock or floating slug. Such people wouldn't survive for long in the presence of the flying cone creature. Giblet was in awe of the majestic overlord, when he then noticed that, on the other side of the chamber, one of the overlord's kin had floated into sight. Did this place belong to it? Did these treasures belong to it? The two supreme beings faced each other down for a minute or two, before they began to speak to each other by varying the wind speed around them to create a uniquely superior language that was beyond Giblet's understanding. Now, dear listeners, through the power of modern science, I can translate the Overlord's dialogue for you. I'm sure you will find it profound. Balkit, you spawn of a cur. Where's my treasure? Giblet's overlord roared. We were sired by the same being, attack. How could you speak of them so? Moaned the other overlord. Don't distract from the issue at hand. I have schemes to fund, and you delay my grand plan. Your plan is bad comedy. I need the treasure for my schemes. I don't have time for your petty insults. Days I have toiled, without food or rest. I not listen to your bluster on an empty stomach. Giblet's overlord ceased its wondrous wind humming and turned towards Giblet. Ah, the overlord wished to reward him. He knew his service was worth a great deal of shinies. Wait, no, why was he levitating? Why was he levitating towards the overlord's gargantuan mouth with, it, with its rows of sharp teeth? No, 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 no! The Faerun found Giblet to be quite the tasty treat, before it went back to verbally jousting with its kin. Hello, monster enthusiasts. This is Nicholas with Into the Dungeon, and welcome to another reading from the Tome of Dungeoneering. I have an odd 
inexplicable headache today. Things are a little blurry, but I'm sure I can finish this episode just fine. Now, where were we? Oh, right. In this episode, we will be discussing the supreme beings of all existence, the mighty Faerun. Now, look, I understand that you've been told by mainstream tabletop outlets that dragons, mind flayers, beholders are the cool, hip villains of our age, but that's a load of malarkey. There's only one supreme villain for any tabletop campaign, and it's the Faerun. You may not have heard of the much-maligned Faerun, because recent Dungeons & Dragons publications have dared to neglect the Supreme Beings. This is certainly because Mind Flayers have infiltrated Wizards of the Coast in an attempt to dethrone the Faerun as the greatest villains ever. But I'm here to set things straight. If you have heard of the Grand Faerun, you may have heard them referred to as Magic Grubs or Thornbacks. These are obviously insulting terms, and anyone using those names will be treated as food offerings for our supreme overlords. I I mean, not our supreme overlords. I'm an impartial voice in all of this. Moving on swiftly. Anyway, as I was saying, the Faerim are species of spellcasters who thrive on mayhem, wickedness, chaos, and general disagreeableness. But wait, I hear you say. Nicholas, you're clearly being mind-controlled by a Faerim as you speak. Why would you describe them in such a negative way? Well, you see, listeners, the Faerim are appalling beings, and they're proud of it. The only reason they don't seek to completely exterminate non-Faerim is because they lose out on all the folks they want to torment and enslave. The only reason they don't try to exterminate all of the other Faerim is because then they wouldn't have any family to fight with. Modern stories want to write villains with tragic backstories, understandable motives, and paths to retribution. Get that nonsense out of here. The Faerun want to cause trouble solely for the sake of causing trouble. And unfortunately for everybody in the world, they're well equipped to achieve their grim fantasies. So what have we got going on in the reasons why you don't want to get mugged by a Faerun in an alleyway department? Faerim are inherently magical creatures. They literally starve to death if there isn't magic in their environment, as their stomachs only work if there's magic around. As a result of their magical nature, they are highly resistant to wizardry. Let's say you're a cheeky spellcaster that thinks you can polymorph the Faerim into a mouse. Got bad news for you. Not only is your cute little spell not going to work, the Faerim's body can either absorb that magic for some healing, or reflect it straight back at you. And now you've started a magic duel with one of the most powerful mages you've ever encountered. You see, Faerim tinker and learn spells too, growing exponentially more powerful over the span of their exceptionally long lives. Unlike most creatures, they can also cast spells innately. They don't need fancy words or weird ingredients to make their spells work. This means that they have free time to telepathically taunt you as they strive to murder you. Since the Faerim spend so much of their existence trying to screw with other people, you can bet they've got an arsenal of spells ready to blow you up with. Your only saving grace is that the ever-merciful Faerim have a preference for mind control spells and would rather make you a servant than a charred corpse. The term servant in this context specifically means snack in waiting. 
I know what you're wondering at this stage. The Great and Mighty Faerim are clearly the superior villains of the Dungeons & Dragons setting. So why don't they feature in modern adventures and plots? Well, aside from the obvious attempts of other villains to usurp the Faerim, there was that Empire of Netheril affair. I'm sure there's a podcast somewhere or other that could give you the exact details. But to summarize the situation... Back in the old days, there was an empire of human wizards called the Netherese. This being an empire of inferior beings, they of course screwed everything up. Now, imagine for a moment that magic is like an electrical grid. The fair and generous Faerim tapped into a portion of the electrical grid from their homes underground and only used what they needed. Now, imagine the Netherese in their flying cities coming along plugging all of their magical hair dryers into the electrical grid and promptly overloading it. Yeah, sure, the Netherese can't blow dry their hair if they blow up the magical grid. The Faerim slowly starve, which is just unseemly. There is an enlightening exchange between a group of Faerim in the 1996 work Swordplay by Clayton Emery where a handful of Faerim lament their inability to inform the Netherese that maybe just maybe, overloading the magical electrical grid underpinning existence might be a bad idea. Nothing works. We tried astral visitation and only drove wizards mad. They clawed out their eyes, tore out their hearts, killed their fellows, until at last they killed themselves. We tried visions. We tried life drain. Now we've tried direct visitation and all failed. We cannot tell them. One of us just exploded trying to do so. The ever-wise Faerim ponder what to do in this situation and come up with a marvelous scheme. They could find a better way to chat with their Netherese neighbors, or they could magically drain the life from the Netherese farmlands, thus forcing the Netherese to use so much magic to maintain their extravagant lifestyles that they blow up their civilization. Brilliant. In our electric grid analogy, Instead of asking their neighbors to use their hair dryers less often, the Faerim have chosen to sneak into their neighbor's house and push them into a bathtub while the hair dryer is still going. This plan goes about as well as could be expected. The Netherese manage to detonate their civilization. The Faerim's life draining creates the Arnok Desert. And ultimately, the Faerim get themselves killed or trapped beneath said desert. So, instead of having a thriving civilization of Faerim, you've got the odd one that shows up with a scheme here or there. Which makes them all the better for running in a campaign, because no one will see it coming. Faerim make great villains, as they're individually powerful, and you can give them flavor by choosing what spells they've learned, what kind of servants they prefer to have, and what evil schemes they're keen on enacting. Their preference for using others to do their dirty work lets them craft networks of servants and unwitting allies. This gives you the opportunity to have a wide array of different creatures fight your adventurers on behalf of the Faerim. If you wish to undertake a campaign during the height of the Netherese Empire, Faerim will naturally be active antagonists in that setting. Faerim also happen to be on the kill-on-sight list for innumerable creatures living both underground and on the surface world. If you want to give your adventurers opportunities for unlikely alliances, the Faerim are great at getting people to come together in mutual hatred. One such group of people are the Tomb Tappers, 
a race of giant statue monsters built by the Netherese to hunt down the Faerun. Even though the Netherese are gone, these hulking horrors will happily make shady deals with your adventurers if it means getting to pull a fast one on a Faerun. One of the challenges you may face as a dungeon master trying to utilize a Faerun is that they are extremely alien, and by that I mean genuinely hard for someone to wrap their mind around. They're quite physically different from anything you're going to encounter in the real world, or even a fantasy world. They're biologically bizarre, and possess a mindset that's difficult to engage with. They are evil, and they like it. So if you're in a position where you find yourself struggling to relate to your Faerun villain, try using a humanoid proxy for them, a prized servant the Faerun speaks through. This way, you can focus on the personality of the Faerun rather than trying to wrap your brain around its odd physical nature. In terms of their personality, they resemble, say, the CEO of a dastardly corporation, always trying to improve their standing in the world at the expense of everyone else, or a corrupt politician who makes promises they never intend to keep in order to advance their career. Once you come to grips with their personality, you can then engage with the oddities of their physical existence. Now, when it comes to miniatures, I'm certain that you will not be surprised to learn that there isn't a direct Faerun miniature for you to slap down on your table. This is definitely the influence of the wretched Mind Flayers at work, or the Tomb Tappers, or the Netherese, or one of those various other people that the Faerun have rightfully done something horrible to. Thankfully, there is an abundance of eldritch horrors in miniature form thanks to the Cthulhu mythos and the associated tabletop role-playing game, Call of Cthulhu. The one I think best represents the almighty Faerun is the Flying Polyp miniature from Peterson Games' Cthulhu Wars. You could also utilize any number of flying tentacle monsters from the many, many Cthulhu mythos-related miniatures in existence. On that note, until next time, everyone, remember... Tremble in fear before the supreme power of the majestic, masterful Faerim, the true rulers of all existence. Did, did I do well, Overlord? Are you pleased with this episode? Wait, Overlord, why are you levitating me? Oh, oh no, 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 no! All right, dear listeners, the episode is over, and you know what that means. It's time for me to ask you to please like and subscribe to our content because it really does make a difference. Sharing our episodes with friends and hobby groups is a great way to support us too. If you're really looking to dive into our content, you can find more information at patreon.com slash into the dungeon or into the dungeon.com. Oh, and Giblet has something he'd like to say. Give shamies. He's not a great sales kobold, but who am I to argue? See you at the next reading from the Tome of Dungeoneering. Hey, hey, it's an owl bear.